With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk, continuing our schedule breakdowns with the Iowa Hawkeyes with our guest John Steppy of the Cedar Rapids Gazette but you guys just go by the Gazette now right like yeah the Gazette of the whole world because yes. it doesn't matter where you are people can find you so isn't your website thegazette.com is yes. that right that is right we just ignore all the other Gazette newspapers out there do you know are there are there Gazettes that are mad that you guys took thegazette.com <laughs> Well, the Colorado Springs Gazette has gazette.com. Oh, so you're... So, uh, oh. Yes. So I don't think there's any beef between our digital team and their digital team, but maybe there once was. What about the Smallville Gazette? Is that a, that's a, is that a Superman thing? I think that might be uh, a Superman thing. Superman might be coming after you guys. Just watch your back, John. Watch your back. Okay, I'll be careful here. You don't want to make know. Superman mad. So he's John oh. Steppy. He's been covering Iowa football for what did you say, uh, nineteen years? No, I'm sorry, <laughs> six games. John, you came in <laughs> in the midst of last year, and you were just saying you you were thrown into an Iowa football beat where it was like, oh, hey, what's going on with Iowa football? It's like, yeah, they're the number two team in the country, number two in the country. Then they lose, and it's like, oh my god, they fell apart. And then it was like, oh my god, they made the Big Ten championship game. You had like five seasons in one, and you haven't even covered a, an entire year yet. Pretty much. It was a really wild run there where first road trip was that Maryland game where the offense, you know, broke 50. I don't think anyone would have expected that based on the rest of the season. They get up to number two in the country after beating a Penn State team that everyone at the time thought was going to be really good. And then, you know, everything collapsed there. People realized, wait a second, this team really doesn't have an effective offense. And it took quite the tumble after double-digit losses to Purdue and Wisconsin, both unranked at the time. And then everything kind of fell into place where they got a Big Ten championship game run. And then things didn't go so well there, but still got a good bowl spot with the Citrus Bowl. And then things didn't go so well at the end there, but a competitive game against Kentucky. And a 10-win season, which for Iowa standards, you take. Yeah, pretty good. 
All right, this is going to be the seventh game in 2022, the seventh game of the year for both of these teams, John. And I don't know who makes the schedule at the Big Ten, but they're both coming off a bye coming into this game. So Ohio State goes Notre Dame, Arkansas State, Toledo, Wisconsin, Rutgers at Michigan State for the first road game, then off October 15th, then home October 22nd against Iowa. Iowa goes South Dakota State, Iowa State, Nevada, at Rutgers, Michigan, at Illinois, before off on October 15th, and then coming to Ohio Stadium. Maybe we get a good game here, because everybody, you both get a week to build up for the other guy. I think, you know, they both have, they, we understand this. They, they go at it a little bit differently. Ohio State's going to have to get its defense ready for Iowa. Ohio State will have played Wisconsin. Maybe that's a little bit similar. Iowa, you don't see a lot of passing. You don't see another passing game in the Big Ten like C.J. Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba. Iowa's going to have to get ready for that. But these are two pretty good coaching staffs. I would imagine, right? I mean, Kirk Ferentz has done this for a while, John. Give him an extra week to get ready for the Buckeyes. He'll have Iowa as ready as Iowa can be, right? Yeah, and you look at it, personnel-wise, defensively, this team is really in a good spot. Special teams, this team is in a pretty good spot. Offense is a little bit more of the question mark, where if Iowa is really going to compete in this game, it's not going to be nearly as high-octane of an offensive day as it was back in 2017. So, but you look at it, if this defense can force some turnovers, which... It did last time they played Ohio State. I could really see a situation where Iowa could be competitive. Now, on the flip side, with the way that the offense was last year, there's a situation where things could fall apart quickly for Iowa. So it could, I see it maybe going any number of different ways. So one of the things you referenced there is something I want to get into a little bit after maybe we talk about the football. These teams have not played since 2017. And these teams have only played once since 2013. Ohio State hasn't beaten Iowa in eight seasons. The last win against the Hawkeyes for Ohio State, 34-24 in 2013. 14 didn't play. 15 didn't. I'm doing math on my fingers. What have I got myself into? 14 didn't play. 15 didn't play. 16 didn't play. 17, the infamous loss for Ohio State at Iowa. Four JT Barrett interceptions. Josh Jackson goes crazy. The Iowa tight ends destroy the Ohio State linebackers. 55-24. Urban Meyer looks like he's in shock after the game. Don't play in 18. Don't play in 19. Don't play in 20. Don't play in 21. So they've played once in the last eight seasons, and that Iowa win, John, you were in sixth grade for that Iowa win. That (laughs) Iowa win is one of the you know, the Purdue wins right on top of it, but it's it's one of the more devastating losses in recent Ohio State history in terms of the way Ohio State reacted to it. They had just come off this gigantic win, comeback win against Penn State the week before. You know, they had lost to Oklahoma earlier that regular season, but it felt like, okay, Oklahoma is probably a playoff team. If Ohio State takes care of business otherwise, they might get another shot of the Sooners in the playoffs. And Iowa just absolutely ruins that with a 30-point win. It is a little odd, John, that that's our reference point. Almost, I don't want to say for a generation, but for eight (laughs) years, it's kind of weird these teams haven't played more in the last decade. 
And especially considering that they're two of the more winning, obviously Ohio State being the standard bearer in the conference, but two of the more winning programs, too, in the Big Ten, that just with the current East-West setup, they don't get to play each other much. And maybe we'll see divisionless Big Ten football soon, and this matchup can happen more often. But it's been a while since 2017. If they're in a boardroom on a whiteboard, PowerPoint, I don't know what you do. If you're doing a PowerPoint about why getting rid of divisions would be good for the Big Ten, this is not point one. Point one is they want the two best teams in the championship game for TV stuff. But this is an example, right? That, oh, yeah. Well, okay, so we have Iowa play Illinois and Purdue and Northwestern a little less often so they can play Ohio state a little more often and Ohio state will play Rutgers and Maryland and Indiana a little less often so they can play Iowa a little more often. It is a little weird for two teams, this good two programs, this good to play once in eight years. And again, the recent history, 2009, 2010, like the Terrell Pryor rivalry with Iowa was awesome. 2009. It's a game winning field goal for Ohio state in overtime. Devin Barkley, 2010, It's this Terrell Pryor fourth and 10 crazy, unbelievable individual effort run on fourth and 10 to keep a drive alive. Ohio State wins that one 2017. Those are two three-point wins. 2013, a little more run-of-the-mill 10-point win for Ohio State, but it's still a game. And then 2017, the Iowa win, as we said. Man, John, I wanted to play more. Do Iowa (laughs) fans, like, for for a game like this, what do you think the – anticipation, the expectation, how will Iowa fans view this game? Is it just like, well, you know what, Iowa, we, you know, we play Wisconsin and Nebraska and Michigan, and we play some, we play great games. They played Penn State last year. Or are they like, no, we want another shot at these guys. Like how, how up will Iowa be from a fan base perspective for this Ohio State game? I think they're really going to embrace the challenge. And, you know, I don't think the fan base would nearly be as excited. If you're looking at, okay, you had a challenge like Ohio State or you're playing Illinois. I think people are going to be a lot more excited to play Ohio State, where it could be a really good game. Not that Illinois isn't capable by any means, but I think you know there's a thirst for that challenge. And that challenge hasn't always been there in the Big Ten West. Where you look at it, Nebraska, the team that everyone seems to preseason have high expectations for, and then you know things tend to kind of tumble downward for them in the standings. Minnesota's had good years. Wisconsin, you know, those are pretty good games with Iowa. But this will be a new challenge. After having a, you know, relatively easier 2021 schedule, I don't think anyone would have said going into that 2021 schedule, hey, that's an easy crossover selection. When Indiana was ranked at the time, little did we know what was going to happen there. Penn State, you know, was considered a very, you know, high-ranked team. Look what was going to come there. And Maryland, I think even people had maybe a little higher expectations for than how they turned out. So I think, you know, there is really a thirst for that challenge. The crossover games for Iowa this year at Rutgers and then Michigan and Ohio State. So those are the, right, so those are your three crossovers. But it is one of those things, John, where, Listen, if Iowa would lose to Michigan and Ohio State, it gets a little tough 
but you could still get to the Big Ten championship game. Take care yeah. of business and everything else. Beat Wisconsin, beat Minnesota, beat Nebraska. Take care of business. I mean, are all those other teams going to win all their games? That you're still even I, – I, I understand that thirst because when you think about Iowa football right now, it's not like Iowa Hawkeyes fans. And I have Iowa Hawkeyes fans in my family. My wife is from Iowa. My brother is an Iowa grad and a huge Iowa fan. My father-in-law is a huge Iowa fan. My sister-in-law is a huge Iowa fan. So I understand people loving the Hawkeyes, but it's not like they're sitting around thinking about Bama and Clemson and USC all the time. They're not thinking about how do we win a national championship, but they're thinking, right, let's try to compete at the top of the Big Ten, try to get to Indy, but let's just like win, have as many good Saturdays as we can have. So playing Michigan and Ohio State doesn't necessarily get in the way of either of those two things. First of all, Playing Michigan and Ohio State, you're going to be fired up at least at the start of that Saturday, even if it goes <laughs> south, right? You'll be fired yeah. up. You'll, you'll get your gear on, have your friends, you'll be talking about it. And again, it doesn't preclude you from getting to Indianapolis if you handle business in the West. I would understand. I was not afraid of these games. Iowa wants these games. Yeah. And the energy for the Penn State game, Penn State at Kinnick, that thing was wild. And, you know, the Kinnick press box, you can only hear so much of it. But, you know, I was seeing fans with taking photos of their watches with the high noise warnings Mm. that, you know, you could be risking injury to your ears or or I'm not phrasing that quite right, but hearing damage. So the Iowa fan base really got pumped up for that Penn State game. And I think that really shows that hey, it's fun to be able to have that challenge. I think the game of Michigan coming to Iowa is be another example of that. Obviously, the Kinnick faithful won't be there for a game at the horseshoe. But I think there is that it's fun. That's the nature of it. And as you were saying, the Big Ten West, if you can take care of business there, you can lose to Michigan. You can lose to Ohio State. A two-loss Iowa made it to Indy last year yeah so there's certainly a path to do it and they did it despite not having the tiebreakers going their way with losing to purdue losing to wisconsin not really an ideal two to lose to in that division fight so it's certainly a doable path to be able to have these challenging games and still have a good path to indy which is clearly the goal every year it's even in the plate that's above the doors to the weight room at the Iowa facility, that the road to Indianapolis goes through these doors. So I think it's really a situation where you can have the challenge and not miss out on your chances for Indy. It'll be harder, but it's still doable. He's John Steppe. He works for the Gazette. The Gazette covers the world, for all we know. It's just (laughs) Gazette.com. I want to get into the football on the field. We'll talk about some Kirk Ferentz stuff at the end. And again, by the way, Wisconsin has to come to Columbus too. So, you know, Iowa, Iowa and Wisconsin, if you both lose in Ohio Stadium, then you play each other later in the season and the winner of that game, it might be to get to Indy again. So that very, very possible for those things. This game, part of just a tremendous Ohio State home schedule in 2022. Eight home games for Ohio State, including Notre Dame, Wisconsin, Iowa, 
and Michigan. So that is a uh, a great home slate for the season ticket holders at Ohio Stadium. Let's talk defense. Bill Connolly, the SP Plus from ESPN.com, takes into account recruiting rankings, takes into account returning production. The Iowa defense, fourth. Iowa offense, 76th, but we'll get to that later. Iowa defense, fourth. Jack Campbell at linebacker, one of the five best defensive players in the Big Ten. One of the eight, but like really good. Early up there. Yeah. So so what will be, uh, Iowa does this. Again, we talked about it on the Wisconsin pod a couple weeks ago. There are some teams in the Big Ten West that have statistically highly ranked defenses. And it's like, is it because the offenses stink? And it's like partly, honestly, partly, but not entirely. Talk about how how does Iowa want to play defense and and sort of compared to the standard that Iowa has on defense, how good should this 2022 defense be for the Hawkeyes? Well, there are two big things that come to mind for defensive coordinator Phil Parker. The biggest thing that I think is maybe the thing that kind of sticks with people that they think of when they hear about Iowa's defense is not giving up big plays. Mm. That's one key thing that they'll be more conservative. This is not a crazy blitzing team. They don't want to give up big plays. The other thing is turnovers. That was the thing that went really well last year. I don't think having 25 interceptions in one season is going to happen every year. That was a pretty unique set of circumstances there that led to a lot of defensive success. But when this Iowa team in 2021, when they did well, it was, I should say, even when the whole Iowa team as a whole did well, they were forcing turnovers. And Maryland, take that game, for example, when that was just a route there, it was because the defense was forcing turnovers and setting up excellent field position. So that's really where everything starts with this Iowa team is the defense puts this team in opportunities to win games. 31 turnovers forced last year by Iowa, third in the nation behind only Cincinnati and Middle Tennessee. The turnover margin overall tied for seventh. Uh, They forced 31. They gave the ball up 19 times. I, to some degree, John, I don't, I don't want to be dismissive of it. But I do, I think statistically, the analytics part of this would tell you that there is a decent amount of luck to turnovers and to count on it season to season is kind of a tough road to go down. In 2020, uh, Iowa forced 18 turnovers in in just uh, eight games, which is actually pretty darn good also. Is there, does Iowa buck, is there a trend here? Is this enough of a thing that this is what Phil Parker um, tries to do. It's the way they play defense that they actually can count on the turnovers most of the time. Or is this one of those where, well, if they don't force a bunch of turnovers in 2022, then all of a sudden the offense is going to be in bad shape because they're not getting their short fields. Can they count on it? Can they count on it? Can they assume the it's going to happen? Yeah. The short answer is all of the above. That there is certainly some luck that goes into that. But You know, the luck aside, this has been something reliable for the Iowa defense. Now, that luck is what makes it quite so high, but it's reasonable to expect that this Iowa defense is in the upper tier of 
teams in the FBS in turnovers every year. Okay. So it might not happen quite at the numbers that 2021 was. That was incredible and incredibly difficult to replicate. But it is safe to count on this being a key part of the Iowa defense and a key way of how they win games. So maybe not quite 31 turnovers forced in one season, 25 interceptions. But it's still reasonable to count on this being a key trademark of this Iowa defense. Phil Parker's good, right? I mean, this guy, this is not, this is, this is a style. This is a way of doing things. This is a a way of teaching, right? That, that this is, if you're going to count on anybody, and again, there's exceptions to every rule. Generally, eh, I'd roll with luck with turnovers, but it would also make sense to me that Phil Parker, the way he does things, the way he teaches defense to say it's only luck would be to take something away from a defense that has been one of the best groups in the Big Ten for a decade plus. Yeah, and if you look at it, if it's only luck, man, Iowa's been really lucky over the last six years. Right. So it's clearly a talent. They have Riley Moss, the Big Ten defensive back of the year, coming back. So you've got him in the mix there. You've got some younger guys who have a lot of promise. Jamari Harris was somebody who I don't think anyone really had high expectations for going into 2021. He stepped up with injuries and had, I think it was four interceptions. So he's certainly somebody that's interesting. Xavier Wampa, the five-star recruit that came in. Iowa's not really known for their five-star recruits. There aren't a ton of guys on this defense that Iowa got over Ohio State, but Wampa is one of them. Yep. That's somebody who's me intriguing to watch. Then you've got other guys like Kayvon Merriweather, really experienced defensive back. So they've got some people who've really, if it's luck, they should be buying their lottery tickets because they've been lucky throughout their Iowa careers. Phil Parker, I think 23 years at Iowa. A decade as the defensive coordinator, the guy's legit. The way of doing business defensively is legit. You mentioned some scary guys there. That's one of those things. Sometimes you run into a system, you run into you know good teaching, and everybody does the right thing, and they're in the right place. And it's like, great, here comes some awesome talent. Good luck. There are some scary dudes on this Iowa defense, right? Is it a start oh, yeah. with Riley Moss and Jack Campbell? Where does it start? Who are the guys like when Ryan Day, when they're in the film room this week, on the bye, both teams on the bye? Who are, the, who are the defensive players that Ohio State's going to be like, all right, we got to account for that guy. We got to account for that guy. I think number one and put number one in bold, red, circle it to text is Jack Campbell. And the amount of respect he has gotten from other coaches going into the Big Ten championship game, Jim Harbaugh was really complimentary of how he has a nose for the football. It's almost like he's just a magnet. And when you're watching him live, you kind of wonder, how did he, how is he everywhere here? And then when you watch it over again, you see, okay, this is how. He's really that good. So that's somebody right there at that middle linebacker position that I would say is number one. Defensive back-wise, Riley Moss, you know, is definitely that person that he was hurt for a chunk of last year. So that maybe kept him from having even better production. 
He should certainly be in the national award conversation this year if he stays healthy, which of course is a big if. But I'd say those two people in particular, the defensive line is really deep too. So while they don't maybe have that one person that you say, oh, wow, I'm scared of that person. They've got people who are on their second team for the spring depth chart that you'd say, wow, they would start on a lot of Big Uh Ten teams. And they have a lot of versatility in that group, too. A lot of people who could play inside or outside. I had the Iowa defensive line coach, Calvin Bell, on my podcast last week. And he views it kind of as four wheels on a car with that four-person defensive front where willing to put people in different positions there. So there maybe isn't the one name at that position group, but a lot of people, the depth is what in a long grinding game and one where if the offense isn't going so well for Iowa, the defense could be out there a lot. That depth I think is me scary for opponents. So the question for, for a lot of these teams in the West, right? We asked the same question again on the Wisconsin preview a couple of weeks ago. Your defense is good. You have a good defensive line. You have a good defensive coordinator. You have good linebackers. Do you have guys in the secondary? And do you have guys who can get after the passer that can slow down this Ohio State passing game? That's the ultimate question for every defense that's going to face Ohio State this year. Alabama and USC and Georgia and Clemson are going to have the same question because that's how Ohio State's going to win. Michigan could last year because Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo were a problem. Does Iowa have the guys in the secondary and or guys who are going to get after C.J. Stroud to allow Iowa not stop, but slow down the Ohio State passing game enough for for the Hawkeyes to have a chance? I think it's possible. I think, though, you can't ask this Iowa defense to do too much when you're playing against Ohio State. I think you see the Big Ten championship game against Michigan last year is the perfect example of the defense being asked to do too much. Hmm. And what happens there, okay, Iowa gives up 42 points in that game to Michigan. So you look at it, I think the offense needs to take care of business so that the defense isn't just constantly out there. But you look at it, I think Lucas Van Ness is somebody on the defensive line who can be a problem, who did a lot as a redshirt freshman, now having another offseason under his belt. That's somebody who could maybe be a problem. You have experienced guys like John Wagner. You know, you've got options there. So I think it's possible, but I think, but here's the other thing is Phil Parker is not going to go, probably not going to go. I should have that caveat because this could be maybe the one time that Phil Parker goes aggressive on blitzing. So I'll give myself a little bit of room there, but most likely Phil Parker is not going to have these crazy blitzes in the playbook. So I think it's really going to come down to turnovers. Can this secondary force those you've got good players like Riley Moss you've got Kevon Merriweather we'll see who ends up taking that cash role you could have a player like Cooper DeGene who really didn't have a big role last year but people seem to be really high on going into this year there are different people who could take that next step too I think you have to force turnovers I think that's the key thing because This Ohio State passing attack, if they can kind of just chip away at Iowa, it could get to be an ugly game. Okay. 
Let's talk about the Iowa offense. But first, we'll take a quick break here on Buckeye Talk. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. That first group, John, that was that was ooh, maybe the fourth best in the country. Now, SP Plus, 76th best. I was just sitting here going through the history of recent uh, Iowa quarterbacks. And we'll go back to Northeast Ohio native Ricky Stanzi, who was just a delight and was uh, was a dude who gave you a chance. I, I Lots of people liked Ricky Stanzi. I mean, he's not, you know, wasn't a great NFL quarterback or that kind of thing, but it's like it, you, you felt like Ricky Stanzi, I think you felt good with him going into a big time game. Since then, they've actually had some decent guys, right? Like Jake Rudock was a starting quarterback for two years. He wound Jim Harbaugh was like, give me some Jake Rudock. CJ Beathard was a starting quarterback for two years. CJ Beathard, like Kyle Shanahan was like, give me some CJ Beathard, right? I mean, like he's he's been in the NFL. Nate Stanley, three years of Nate Stanley. I was never a huge Nate Stanley fan. He played the best game of his life against Ohio State in 2017. So now they've had several years of um Spencer Petrus, and he's back, but like, is that good? They feel it, they're stuck a little bit. I thought they got stuck. I, I think one of the, I don't want to say worst, but I say most difficult. I think one of the most difficult things that I've seen happen with sort of okay to good Big Ten teams in my nearly two decades of doing this is to have a young quarterback who sort of establishes himself early and then. You think he's going to be good, and he never really is good, and he's only just okay. But before you know it, we started him for three years, and it's like, where did he take you? And in the end, he might have not held you back, but maybe was like a governor on your offense that you only could accelerate so much with that guy. And it feels like, to me, that has been happening with Iowa football and it still might be happening with Spencer Petrus, which means do they do something else? But you actually cover Iowa, so I'll let you talk now, John. What <laughs> is the quarterback situation going to be with the Iowa Hawkeyes in 2022, and what kind of play are they going to get? Well, right now they're saying it's going to be a competition. If I was a betting person, I would bet on Spencer Petrus probably being the quarterback. I think there's... Things align well for Petrus to win the job. Competition, though, is there. Alex Padilla played a chunk of last year, but he certainly was not perfect either. The other thing to keep in mind is Petrus was hurt for a good chunk of that second half of the season. You don't know how much that influenced the last couple months that particularly went off the rails for him. And then the one name that the fan base seems to get really excited whenever we talk about is um, Joe Labus the um, young one in the quarterback room who has an outside, outside chance in this quarterback competition. I think in all reality, Petrus and Padilla are the two most likely. Petrus, he works with the quarterback whisperer, Tony Rassiopi, 
who worked with Kenny Pickett a lot, obviously worked out well for Kenny Pickett. So Petrus got a Manning camp invite too. So there are some things going there for Petrus, but you still can't deny when you look at the stats and you see, yeah, this is a guy that completed 57% of his passes and his main competition, Padilla, is the guy who completed 49% of his passes. And I think everyone at Iowa realizes that you're not going to win when, as a team, you're completing 55% of your passes. So this is the biggest question mark for Iowa going into this season because the play has to improve. And the two most likely candidates to get this job, we saw last year what they could do. So who can take that jump in the offseason? That's the big question there. If I had to line things up right now, I'd say Petrus first team, Padilla second team, Labus third team. But they haven't gotten into fall camp yet. Things could still change. So, you know, I, I will say that a lot of the offense is a lot of respect for Spencer Petrus. That's abundantly clear, um, especially, you know, he's the punching bag for the Iowa fan base at times, and he's handled that really well. But punching bag aside, in terms of who's me the best quarterback, you're kind of choosing between a couple tough options there based on what they've done so far. You need somebody to take that jump. And if nobody does take that jump, it could be a long season because Iowa got away with having a more favorable Big Ten schedule by missing Ohio State, missing Michigan until the Big Ten championship game, and missing Michigan State. Now they play two of those three teams. It's really going to come down to quarterback play. When you look at it, the other positions are good. Um, Tight end, Sam Laporta is probably one of the best tight ends in the country. Offensive line has some issues, um, but we'll see. I should say some uncertainty after losing basically three starting caliber players. But you've got talented targets to throw to. You've got pretty good running backs from what we've seen so far. You've got an okay offensive line, but you need that quarterback play to be better than 55% completion. It's one of those things that's like, oh, well, maybe Kirk Ferentz, you know, he just wants kind of like a game manager. Just don't make mistakes, right? Almost like how Jim Trestle, you know, used yeah. to talk about playing football. You know, don't don't turn it over. Don't put the defense in a bad spot. But then you look, Spencer Petras last year had 10 touchdowns and nine picks. It's like, well, that's not, that's not pretty. But then you also look at, this is one of those things. You look at the, I'm looking at the CFBstats.com, Big Ten passing leaders from 2021. This is why people start. This is how you wind up with people saying Aiden O'Connell might be the second best quarterback in the Big Ten. These are the <laughs> starting quarterbacks. There were 13 quarterbacks who played enough and threw enough to qualify in the quarterback rankings. These are the quarterbacks in the West. Aiden O'Connell, Purdue, 28 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Pretty good. Adrian Martinez, Nebraska. He's transferred now. 14 touchdowns, 10 picks. Tanner Morgan, Minnesota, 10 touchdowns, 9 picks. Graham Mertz, Wisconsin, 10 touchdowns, 11 picks. Spencer Petrus, Iowa, 10 touchdowns, 9 picks. Ryan Helinski, Northwestern, 3 touchdowns, 4 picks. Brandon Peters, Illinois, 7 touchdowns, 4 picks. So on one hand, you're like, oh, I don't know if Spencer Petrus is going to get it done. And then you go, well, who is Graham Mertz, Tanner Morgan, (laughs) Brandon Peters? Like who's – 
are there any quarter? So, and then all of a sudden, it's like, well, you know, I play good defense with Iowa. Maybe they can get to Indy. But it, is there, of the two quarterbacks, Petrus and Padilla, they're the two main guys. Is there one that's like higher upside, bigger risk? Like, what? what's the deciding factor? Like, or is it both of them you kind of know what you have? Or do you not quite know as much with Padilla? He's played some, but clearly not as much as Petrus. There's no illusions about Spencer Petrus right now. He is what he is. What like what would make Padilla win it? I think the biggest thing is Padilla's a little more mobile, and that does open things up. Now, I wouldn't compare him to Lamar Jackson by any means. So that was actually like the joke that Petrus had about himself. Once when somebody asked about his running abilities is I'm not exactly Lamar Jackson out there, but Padilla is a little more. Uh, That's the headline. That's the headline on this podcast. (laughs) Iowa quarterbacks claim they are no Lamar Jackson. (laughs) Duh. Duh. Um, But Padilla is more so. Yes. so. So you've got a little more ability there. As you were saying, he it's a smaller sample size with him. So maybe there's something that wasn't seen in 2021. That's certainly a possibility. If he can improve his accuracy, that helps. He also had some bad luck where there are some passes that were on the mark, but just dropped. And that goes into that completion percentage where if you look like on pro football focus at the adjusted for drops completion percentage, Petrus and Padilla are pretty close to each other. So that is part of the downside for Padilla. So maybe there's a little more of an upside there. The other kind of wild card is they had Ken O'Keefe coaching quarterbacks. One of the people who was on the Kurt Ferentz early staffs, he retired. Now Brian Ferentz switched from coaching tight ends while being offensive coordinator to coaching quarterbacks. So maybe you've got some new factor there when you've got him in the room. You've got John Budmeyer, former Wisconsin quarterbacks coach, in as an analyst. Obviously, there are technically some things that an analyst can and cannot do. But you've got maybe some new voices in the quarterback room that could be a difference factor where maybe the Spencer Petrus that we've seen the first couple of years, maybe there's something different. They've talked about changing a little bit of how they're doing the reads pre-snap. So that maybe, you know, could help a little bit, but I don't think you're going to have a situation where Petrus goes from completing 57% of his passes to 77. I think if you have Spencer Petrus completing passes probably in the mid to low 60s you'd probably be pretty happy with this defense and if you can limit the interceptions and with those touchdown interception numbers it really is a tale of two seasons too where nine of the 10 touchdown passes happened before the Purdue game where things fell apart and then seven of the nine interceptions came the Purdue game or later so it really was two different halves of the season for Petrus. So that's the other question is if he's a little more healthy, does that help? But then you've got the offensive line with question marks. Then how healthy is he going to stay? 
if the offensive line has some issues, which is possible. So it's a really interesting quarterback situation in Iowa City. Tyler Linderbaum, who people think is the greatest center in the history of football. Um, I just got, I, I, he's a really good player. Some of the draft stuff, it was like, it was like Tyler Linderbaum was like, should Tyler Linderbaum, um, you know, be a top five pick in the NFL draft? It's like, can everybody chill out about <laughs> the center for a little bit? He's a very good player. He's a very good player. I know he's very athletic, can get out, can pull, smart, does all the things you want a center to do. Is the, Where's the line though? Like, is it going to, is there a standard of an Iowa offensive line that no matter what, it's always going to be at least this good because Kirk Ferentz is an offensive line coach or are there real questions about like, Hey, like maybe this Iowa offensive line will actually be a little bit of a problem. I think it's closer to the latter where it's not going to be a porous line because it is Kirk Ferentz that we're talking about. But that being said, it has some question marks. Losing Tyler Linderbaum is tough. Where when you look at a lot of the like pro football focus grading and just how good of a center he is, it's really easy to take that for granted. And perhaps the most impressive thing was on some of those breakout run plays where you have him keeping up with the running back at the time, Tyler Goodson. Not quite right with him, but staying pretty close to him. So that's obviously a big loss. You lose a guy who had a lot of experience with Tyler Schott. He was the guy who had the hay bailing injury, the most Iowa thing ever. (laughs) Yeah. You know, jumping off a hay bale and injuring himself. So you've got him who's no longer in the mix. And then Cody Ince, somebody who really did not have a great 2021, was really hurt. Those injuries added up and he left football. So you've essentially got three starting quality offensive linemen who have left. Now you've got some good pieces back. Kyra Colby started as a true freshman at offensive line. It does not happen very often at Iowa, largely because of how good the lines have been. Traditionally, you don't need to start a true freshman. But you've got him. That's somebody who I think... Maybe next year, next year might be a bit of a stretch, but some point in his career, I think is an all Big Ten offensive lineman. So you've got him. That's a solid piece there. You have Mason Richmond, who did a lot as a redshirt freshman at a tough position with left tackle. So you've got him in the mix. You've got some other guys that maybe with another year of development are going to be in good shape. Um, Nick DeYoung, maybe with another year could be better. Jack Plum saw him on some of the highlights of Aiden Hutchinson. So, you know, he, but with another year of development, he was kind of thrown in there last year. Maybe with another year of development, you have some better results there. You've got players like Justin Britt, who didn't quite get a footing into last year's depth chart. Maybe he takes a step up, but it's a question mark at this position group. The leading candidate probably right now to take over for Tyler Linderbaum was playing on the defensive line last year. What? Well, yes. That's crazy. Logan Jones switched over from defense line to offensive line. He wasn't getting many snaps on the defensive side. He was pretty far down on the depth chart. 
So he moves over to offensive line. And he was the first team center at the spring practice. Well, the open spring practice. I won't call it a spring game because Iowa really doesn't do it as a game. But, you know, he was the first team guy after two months earlier being a defensive lineman. So that kind of gives you a glimpse into what the situation is on the Iowa offensive line. And to his credit, Logan Jones's credit, he did a very serviceable job for going up against one of the better defensive lines out there and being so new to the position. So that's still, though, it doesn't change the fact that he was playing defense two months ago. So that's the situation there at that position. It's a genuine question mark, particularly for how Iowa plays the ball, plays the game. They are not a spread offense by any means. That's not, they aren't an up-tempo offense there. That, when there's the whole kerfuffle about whether Penn State was faking injuries, one of the arguments was that, why would, that James Franklin had is, why would we be faking injuries? It's not like Iowa's a up-tempo offense. Yeah. It's not them. But considering how much that Kurt Ferentz and Brian Ferentz like to run the ball, it's important to have that. And I love the line from the Kentucky staff before the Citrus Bowl. When was the last time you saw an offense quite like Iowa's? And the answer was inside the five-yard line. <laughs> All right, let's talk about that then. Uh, I just want to – I'm just trying to gather some uh, – Information for your bio, John. I'm just checking on. All right. You don't feel free. You, you don't have to answer. I'm just curious. At the mo- do you have children at the moment? I do not. You do not. I have a hard enough time keeping my one, two, three houseplants alive. Yeah. No. I mean, I'm I'm not sure if my kids are alive right now. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> do you uh, ever imagine in your life being a head football coach of a football team? <laughs> do you think you will do that, or no? Probably not. Probably not. Okay. Okay. So then this is just theoretical then. It probably won't happen in practice. If you were the head coach of a football team and you had a child, would you make that child one of your coordinators? (laughs) I see where this is going. Um, Let's see what his results are. Let's see what his results are. What, what What if his results were... He played for you, then like had a cup of coffee on some practice squads in the NFL. Then you had a friend in the NFL and you asked your friend to hire him. And then he worked for your friend for like two or three years. And then he came back and then we just worked for you for a decade. Would that be (laughs) enough to get a read on that? And if people don't know, that's the Kirk Ferentz, Brian Ferentz story. Brian Ferentz played at Iowa as an offensive lineman. Then like kind of was in the NFL for like a couple years and then was a quality control guy for Bill Belichick because Ferentz and Bill Belichick are buds. And then uh, 2012, which is seven years after the end of his playing career, he's back as a full-time assistant coach at Iowa. And he's been there ever since. And now, and he's been the offensive coordinator since 2017. So I don't like football nepotism, except it's, there's no except. I don't like it. It is everywhere. What doesn't mean I have to like it. So we could just take it as a fact. If he wasn't Kirk Ferentz's son, he would not be the offensive coordinator of the Iowa Hawkeyes. But what matters now is 
is it good enough? Are they good enough? And and it's never going to change, right? I mean, like he's what you fire your kid. He's the offensive coordinator as long as Kirk's the head coach, right? So I guess like are Iowa fans banging their head against the wall? Is just this this is the life they have to live? Are people fired? Well, my brother in law doesn't love it. Is it? <laughs> are people fired up? Are do people get angry about it, or is it you just have to live with it if you like the Hawkeyes? I think people are pretty fired up about it. You know when the quarterback coach position came open, I was talking to some people who pointed to the fact that this is something that could happen, what ended up happening with Brian Ferentz moving from tight ends to quarterbacks. And my immediate thought was, oh, the fan base is not going to like this. Yes. So as much as I was saying earlier that Spencer Petras is like the punching bag for the Iowa fan base, Brian Ferentz is probably the one person who's even more of a punching bag for the Iowa fan base. So the fan base... Yeah, they aren't too thrilled with Brian Ferentz. Yeah, that's a pretty safe assumption there. I think they all, most people realize that they pretty much have to live with it. Just based on the circumstances, I don't see a situation where Kurt Ferentz fires Brian Ferentz. You know, the sentence by itself just kind of tells yeah. that whole situation there. It's probably not going to happen. So it's a mix of both where, yeah, they're pretty angry about it, but they also know, yeah, it's pretty much the world you live in. And the thing that I think is interesting too is how much of this offense is Kirk's versus Brian's. And that could be another dynamic to this is, okay, how much of this is Brian kind of having to do what Kirk wants to do? versus Brian's offense himself being ranked terribly. Like, pick your stat. And in 2021, it was probably in the bottom tier of FBS schools. So Kirk Ferris, 23 years, right? Is that right? I just did my math. Is that right? Let's see. 1999 was the first one. Yeah, I think that's So, yes, this will be 24th year. Yeah, 23. 178 and 110. A lot of success has finished in the uh, season ending top 25 the last four years. Kind of had a low there for a while, right? I mean, 2010, eight and five, seven and six, four and eight, eight and five, seven and six. That jump up year in 2015 when they played the Big Ten championship game as a play in for the playoff. Eight and five, eight and five, nine and four, 10 and three, six and two, 10 and four. Pretty good, right? I mean, nine and four, 10 and three, six and two, 10 and four the last four years. That's pretty good for Iowa football. But where are people with Kirk Ferentz? Is he I think, beloved? I was like, hey, he's our guy until the bitter end. Or is it getting stale? I think there's still a lot of support for Kirk Ferentz. And that kind of became clear with everything that happened this offseason. The number of people that came to Kirk Ferentz's defense was really high. So there seems to be a lot of support for him. And when you win 10 games in the Big Ten... And you're Iowa. You're not exactly recruiting at USC, where you can show the pictures of the California beaches in the recruiting brochures. And in NIL, you've got all that LA money there. No, this is Iowa City. I love Iowa City myself. But for a recruit, if you're given, you see one thing of Iowa City, you see one thing that's LA, 
yeah, you know, the weather is a little colder in Iowa City. So considering what Kirk has done at a program like Iowa that isn't, it's not Ohio State, it's not USC, it's not Bama, it's not Clemson. I'm not sure if USC is the best person to include these days in that tier, but not Ohio State, not Alabama, not Clemson. It's hard to complain with a 10-4 and season. I think people would have been a lot happier if the second half of the season with 10-4 and didn't go, well, I should say the very end of it um, with the Big Ten Championship game in the Citrus Bowl, if that didn't go as sour as it did. But I think overall there is a lot of support for Kurt Ferentz throughout the state. I think if we have a governor's election coming up in 2022, and if he were to throw his name into the hat, I think he'd have a pretty good chance at winning without any campaigning. So he's got a lot of support. The one thing that he might be doing too is his, he has a son, Steve, who I think is on the Miami Dolphins staff. And then his son, James, I think is still in the Patriots practice squad. He might be waiting until he can have multiple children on his coaching staff. That might be the (laughs) ultimate goal there. There are five Ferentz children. As I remember, there are 10 assistant coaches in college football. So, only one so far. It's a little low for Kirk. So he might say, listen, it's one of those His things. His son-in-law is also on the staff as the recruiting oh, director as well. So there are not, two relatives on the staff. I'm just trying to be a sarcastic jerk. And then you come in and prove my point even more. <laughs> this is also, I mean, this is the same thing. I'm consistent though. I don't like it anywhere. I don't like it when <laughs> Ohio State hires Urban Meyer's son-in-law before he's qualified for the job. I don't like it anywhere. It's an affront to the fans. A football team is not your personal family playground. It's not. So, like, I get you love your kids. This isn't even. This is not a family business. Iowa football is not the Ferentz family business. So, at some point, maybe somebody's going to have to say something because, at the moment, the side of the ball that is not so good is the one that has been run by his kid for five years. So that's just facts, baby. So I, I it perturbs me a little bit when this is how things go down you might be perturbed for a while considering his contract goes through 2029 so you've got a while if he's still coaching in 2029 i think if i did the math right he'll be 74 so i don't know if he will choose to use all those years on his contract but yeah it's probably not a situation that's going away anytime soon I, I think it's possible he might be sticking around long enough to get a grandkid on the staff. I don't know how if they have grandkids. They uh, do. If they're, if they're interested they're pretty young. In football, they're pretty young. He might. I got a fourth grader that I've got to make the uh, safeties coach one year, so I got to stick around <laughs> long enough for that to happen. Um, all right, l- listen. This is one of those things. This is one of those things where the person who replaces Kirk Ferentz, whenever that is, very likely is not going to be as good. And then it's like a jerk like me could be like, ah, Kirk Ferentz, he's stale. He's been around for 20 years. He hires his kid. And it's like, also, he wins eight, nine, 10 games a year a lot. And that's pretty darn good for Iowa football. So be careful what you wish for. So I understand that aspect of it. But there's just been the other some of the other things that happened off the field. Some of the things that players have said about Kirk Ferentz, you combine that with hiring your kid and the offense isn't that good and that you've been there for 23 years. And I just get that, you know. Maybe at some point it'll be time for a change. It's probably not before Ohio State and Iowa play in mid-October, though. These two teams, there's a chance. There's a chance, and I feel like I've been saying this 
with a lot of the previews, this could be an undefeated game, right? I mean, Ohio yeah. State being 6-0, and quite possible. Iowa, you know, I mean, Iowa State, that's always a rivalry game. I don't, I don't know how good Iowa State's supposed to be this year. Of they course, lost the, a lot of seniors. So they, they also got rid of Brock Purdy, which might be a plus. Um, <laughs> M- Michigan in Week Five, but that's that's in Iowa. If Iowa wins that one, there's a chance that this is six and zero versus six and zero. But it's gonna, John, it's gonna be a good game. I think it's gonna be a good game, and it's gonna be good to see the scarlet and gray. And the yellow and black is does Iowa say a different word than yellow? They say black and gold. Black I was gold. instructed very early onto my time as an Iowa beat reporter to say black and gold. I should do because it. if I, I say black and yellow, people give me a hard time. About if I said it, red so. for Ohio State, I'd be kicked off this podcast. So like scarlet <laughs> and gray, black and gold. I'm not trying to be sarcastic about that. My apologies. Black and gold, scarlet and gray on the field against each other. It's about time. It's about time, man. John, have you ever been to Columbus personally yourself as a young man? I have not. I've been to the state of Ohio. I've been to, let's see, Cleveland, Cincinnati, um, one random place, like an hour, I think it's like an hour and a half, maybe northeast of Columbus, which is like the middle of nowhere for a family Mm. reunion. Nice. Where they kind of dyed the water at in all the ponds and their lake blue. But we did not drive through Columbus in doing that. So well, I've Columbus not been is, to Columbus before. It's like between Cleveland and Cincinnati on a diagonal. If you're looking, but are you driving? You're probably flying. You're fly here. Um, I'm hoping flying. That'll be a future conversation in the near future with my editor. But it's I'm not, assuming we're going to fly. It's not a terrible drive. I've, I've driven to Iowa a bunch of times to see family. It's, it's fine either way. You're young. What are you? 23? Yeah. What are you? 23? No, I'm not quite that young. 24. Oh, I'm 24. Oh, I'm not- <laughs> you can't even rent a car, though. You can't rent a car until you're 25, so you have to drive your own car and put mileage on it. We'll see where the gas prices are in October. That'll affect things as well. You got to be economical for your company. Where you want to save hey, the Gazette money. The Gazette's the trying Gazette to cover the whole world. Have, yeah, you know, it's a tough thing. We do have company Priuses, though. So... We will get good mileage wow. if we try. What a smart company. My Where I worked before I came to Cleveland.com, I worked in Wilmington, Delaware, and I covered baseball string training in Florida. And they made me drive a company car from Delaware to Florida. And then I drove it around to all the spring training games for six weeks. And But it had the name of the paper on the side. Does it say the Gazette on the side of your Prius? It does not. That's probably a good thing considering how many people view the media these days. Yeah. Now, I-80, you might get a few people flipping us the bird. Nice. You know, we were very clearly part of the mainstream media, so maybe that's a good thing that we don't have that. We're not like the TV stations that have it all plastered over their cars. I'm going to send a a letter to the editor at the Gazette and say, (laughs) I like the media and I think you should promote yourselves and I think you should put the Gazette on the side of all your Priuses and to save money, I think John should drive to Columbus. So I will see that. I'll look for the Gazette Mobile for the parking (laughs) lot at Ohio Stadium. I would maybe prefer the flight, you know, so maybe exclude that last part of that letter. John, it's not about you. It's about your company and serving the readers and listeners. And saving journalism. And saving journalism by driving to Columbus. By driving to Columbus. Yes. It's all on you. Listen, I'm almost done. 
I'm I'm twice your age. I can't I can't carry the load anymore. We need young people like you to step up and drive company cars across four states. All right. <laughs> He's John Steppy. Go to the gazette.com. Not gazette.com. Nope. Duh. Don't want to support the Colorado Springs Gazette, the Cedar Rapids Gazette. But that's good for Ohio State fans because they always say the Ohio State University. So the gazette.com will get you to John's coverage of Iowa. I think Iowa's interesting. And and again, just look back. It, now it's a while ago, 2017, the last time they played nine and 10, two awesome games. And guess what? Ohio State was pretty talented back then, too. They don't throw it like they do now. But I was good at football. And it's just one of those things. It's a little weird, John. It's like you cover the Big Ten. You do all these things, all Big Ten voting, preseason picks, all this stuff. But when programs don't play each other, they do get a little sight out of sight, out of mind. I have just not thought about Iowa football all that much the last couple of years, right? It's just, yeah. and I do almost think if you get rid of the divisions, that'll be one of the things that is a little better is that this kind of gap. Won't well, happen. if I did the math right, if you protect, I think it's two rivalries, you would then end up playing all the other teams about every other year. Yeah. You know, yeah, if not it's a more pretty good often. deal. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I think that's what they want. And that they 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 keep saying. And by the by the way, by the time this runs, because it's not running for a couple of weeks since we recorded, maybe it already happened. I'll put a note at the beginning if that's the case. But like <laughs> that's the thing they want every player in a four year career to have played each other team home and away is like ideally how that would work. And meanwhile, there have been Ohio State like Garrett Wilson never played Iowa. So I mean, it's not like his life is incomplete. Chris Olave <laughs> never played Iowa. Chris Olave was here for four years, never played Iowa. Life goes on. But like Iowa fans are like, oh, that Chris Olave guy, he seems good. I've never seen him in person. I've oh, never yeah. watched a game, right? I mean, it's just one of those things. So um, you have the whole list of the Big Ten players at the combine who it's like, okay, yeah, they haven't gone up against Iowa. Okay, they haven't gone up against Iowa. Now, a lot of them did because Penn State, Michigan, yeah, a whole bunch of them, but it's been a while since even Michigan State. So, yeah. you know, it'll be good to play some of these teams. And, I'm looking forward to traveling to places different than just Champaign, Lincoln, you know, although Lincoln will probably be a protected rivalry. So yeah, no, I think that one's sticking around. I think Madison's probably sticking around, but I wouldn't mind, you know, trading the trip to West Lafayette for maybe a trip to Columbus or a Mm. trip to Ann Arbor. Yeah. A little easier to get to. People often call. Call Columbus the the West Lafayette of Ohio. So um, (laughs) a real charming name for that. Yeah. Well, John, we'll look forward to having you in Columbus. Again, you guys can read John at thegazette.com. Where can they follow you on Twitter, John? J Steppy One. J Steppy One. That's J S T E P P E numeral one. Yes. Numeral one. That's the Twitter account. Uh, John, thank you much so much for your time for joining us here for an hour on Buckeye Talk. Thanks for having me. All right, we'll be back to wrap up this episode next after this. All right, so that's the week eight game off the bye for Ohio State. But what, 61 minutes on Iowa's not enough? You think I have more to say? I have nothing more to say. That's it. If you haven't read it, on Sunday, I put up a 4,000-word story on Tony Alford, the Ohio State running backs coach, running game coordinator, for Father's Day, about him, his family, uh, the people in his life that he's served uh, as a father figure. So if you're interested, go find that free for everybody 
at cleveland.com slash OSU. Thanks to John Steppe for joining us next week. Penn State, as we work our way through the schedule review. Thanks to you guys for listening. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.